Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to sing songs, even if we don't fully remember or know them, that you will bless them because the words are so powerful. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we look at this scripture and, and see what you would have us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without preferring one above another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. Drink no longer water only, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and, and your often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before them before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, likewise also the good works are, of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So we're looking at this. Paul's going to give some instructions to Timothy. This has all been about Timothy to begin with, but we can learn from it as we've talked about. And it says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. And this charge means literally he's confirming it to be true is literally what he's saying. He goes, what I am telling you is true. And this is something we've got to really understand about the Bible. The Bible is true. We may not understand it sometimes. We might not even agree with it. But you know, if you disagree with truth, it doesn't mean that the truth is not true. Now, in our day and age, they're trying to say that. You know, your truth and my truth and all this other garbage that they're trying to talk about that, you know, whatever I believe is true, well, that's not a true statement and we all know that. And one of my favorite examples is if we go up on Windy Point and step off the cliff, We'll end up in, down here in the valley toward chloride real quick, but we won't be enjoying the experience, even if we go, I don't believe in gravity. Okay? I don't believe in gravity. I step off the cliff. Gravity is not going to care whether I believe in it or not. Okay? Truth is truth. It is absolute, and God's word is true. Even if we get to a place where we go, God, I just don't understand or I don't agree with it, God says it's true. And rule I heard long ago, I think it was Dr. McGee who said it is, there's two rules about the Bible. Number one, God's word is true. And number two is if you don't believe that it's true, refer to rule number one. Okay, his word is always true. Whether we believe it, and Paul is saying this, I confirm and, uh, that this is true before God, Jesus Christ, and the elect angels, or all the good angels that are in heaven, which are all the angels in heaven. <laughs> Those who have rebelled are no longer in heaven. So he's saying, this is true. Pay attention to these things. And he goes on to say that you observe these things without preferring one before another. Do nothing by partiality. What things is he talking about? The things we've been talking about for the last two months. Honoring widows, honoring the, the elders, uh, take, you know, family, taking care of their own family, uh, being able to have respect for women as sisters, to cultivate the gifts, to attend to, attend to the word. All these things he's been talking about, he says, take care of them without preferring one over another. And this is both in the word of God. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever been there where you go, God, I really like these verses, but I'm not sure I really like these verses. <laughs> there are people out there that kind of do that, not just because they have trouble with the verse, but they go, well, God, I don't understand how this is true, so I'm going to ignore it completely. We need to be careful when God speaks 
we need to understand it is true and we need to take and listen to it. And this is sometimes hard. You know, been, believe me, only only been studying 48 years and I still run across things. I go, God, this is a hard verse. This is hard to understand. It is hard to be able to obey and understand what you're talking about. Sorry. <laughs> but you know, he's saying don't prefer. All of the word is true. And this is why it's fun sometimes when you start reading the Bible. You know, you know we look at books like Obadiah, Micah, Nahum. Most of you may not even realize that those are books of the Bible. <laughs> You know, but those books have some very powerful truths in them, and many times we don't ever look at them, especially as New Testament Christians. Uh, you'll find out, as you know, as I love the Old Testament almost as much as I like the New Testament because it sets the foundation. But what is God telling us to do? He's got these rules, and he says, I, I want you to obey them. Are we going to be able to obey those rules completely? Absolutely not. We're sin. We're sinful. Should we be trying to obey those rules? Absolutely. You know, and... Proverbs, it talks all, all over the place. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding because we get into his word and we start lifting his word and making it important. And one of the great things is, and I've told you so many times when I read the Bible, I have fun with God sometimes. I'll go, God, when did you add that verse in the Bible? I've never noticed it before. Now, I'm, now I know that I'm only teasing him because I know it's been in there forever. But I also know that it's time for me to be paying attention. If God makes a verse jump out at me, He's telling me to pay attention. This verse has some importance at the time that I'm in, and we need to be able to look at this. And he's saying, I charge you, don't prefer these, and don't do it with partiality. Don't say this verse is more important than that verse, and this verse is important, and this one's not important. You know, we can do this with verses. We can also do it with people. And we want to be careful that we don't do it with people as well. One of the hardest things for people to understand is when somebody gets saved, God sees them as perfect and says they're forgiven. We need to be able to forgive them. We may not trust them completely. They may not be trustworthy yet. But we need to at least say, God's forgiven them. I'm going to be willing to see that God's changed their life and be willing to look and, and say that they have changed. Because hopefully people have done that with you. I don't know about the rest of you, but I know I've changed a whole lot in 48 years. I am not the same person today as I was 48 years ago, or even last year, or the year before, or the year before that. God has made changes in my life, and I know that he's made changes in your life if you're one of his children. And, you know, we need to be able to look at people and say, God has a purpose for you. He can use those. And, you know, one of the greatest things is sinners who get truly saved, which we're all sinners, <laughs> but I'm talking about what we would call bad sinners, usually do great things for God because they know what grace is all about. They know what it means to be redeemed because, you know, I got saved at 10 years old. I never got into the, the real world of sin and everything. I understand that I'm a sinner and I have problems, but people would look at me and say, well, you've been mostly good. You never got into drugs and alcohol. Well, you know, I got a lot of other problems I had to deal with. Uh, maybe you didn't see them. That's going to take us in the last part of this verse where, where he's talking about things go before or after. But, you know, those people who have gone into the depths of sin, oftentimes when they get gloriously saved, they get excited about God because they know what God has taken them out of. You know, and it's kind of amazing, you know, we, you know, if you remember back when you were saved and you were able to share with everybody, you know, you told everybody about Jesus. You didn't know anything about Jesus. You just knew that you were a sinner, got saved, and you, you, know, and you don't know anything about it. You can't answer any question they ask, and you tell everybody. 
Then you mature and you get to know a little bit about God and you stop telling people about Jesus so frequently. Why? Because usually you're afraid they're going to ask you something you don't know. You know. Because somebody has asked you something you didn't know. And you know, we've talked with that. To me, that's one of the greatest things that can possibly happen to you. The very thing you fear the most is one of the greatest things that can happen to you because you go, your answer is real simple. You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to go find out the answer. Can we meet again tomorrow or next week or whatever is convenient for that particular person? Then you go find out the answer and come back and give them the answer. And you know what? Hopefully, if they don't get saved, they ask you another question you don't know. <laughs> so you can give them the same answer. I don't know how to answer that. Let me go back and find an answer, and I'll come back and talk to you again. And each time you come back to them, you give them the gospel. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners so that, he, so that we could be saved. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You know, simple gospel message. Each one of us could deliver the gospel message in about 30 seconds, just like I just did. You know, but yet we're so afraid sometimes to be able to share with people. You know, the ultimate goal is to get people to go to heaven and not hell. You know, and I, we're not responsible for what they do. We're just responsible for giving it to them. You know, we give them the gospel, and if they don't want to accept it, that's between them and God. When they stand before God, God will say, well, you, know, you were told on this day, you were told on this way, you were told on this day, and you rejected my message. He says, no man will be without excuse. So Paul is telling Timothy, do these things and do them fully. Then he tells him in verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker in other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. This literally is talking about promoting people. You know, been a Christian long enough, I've seen famous people, you know, supposedly famous people, they get saved. And immediately, before they know anything, before we even know if their salvation is real, they've got them up in front of groups preaching. And the next thing you know, a month later, they're falling away and no longer, no longer claiming to be a Christian. They were moved up way too fast. They weren't ready. They had not proved their salvation in any way, shape, or form. The other extreme that happens in church is that sometimes somebody's been in church all their life and say, well, this person's been here 30 years. We've got to make them... Something. You know, we got to promote them just because they've been here forever and they've not shown any leadership with God. We need to be careful both directions. And Paul is saying, don't go after these people suddenly. You know, and Timothy had a pretty hard job because he was in charge of starting the church at Ephesus at this time. Paul had planted it. And Paul left Timothy there, a young man, to say, okay, get it established. He wasn't, Timothy was not supposed to be there forever. He was supposed to go in there and find somebody who got saved, got excited about the word, got the Holy Spirit was leading, and promote them to be a pastor. But he's having to do this, Paul's saying, be careful. Be careful with this promotion. This goes back to what I say. When we first get saved, we tell everybody about Jesus, and then we stop frequently. And that's not somebody you want to promote. Oh, well, look how excited that person is. They're telling everybody about Jesus. And you promote them into a position of authority, and the next thing you know, they don't tell anybody about Jesus. They're not living according to Jesus. We want to be careful with this. And this is what Paul is telling him. And I've heard it both ways from people. Well, this person should be promoted. Look at this. They can't, they've just walked into the church, and they're excited. And, you know, I get excited sometimes when I see somebody come into the church that is excited for God and, and wonderful. But I want to see what they're like in three or four months. Are you still the same way? Are you still excited about God? Are you still talking about God? Are you still leading this? And... 
we look at this, and this is what Paul is telling him, be careful. And then he says, partake not in other people's sins. Now, this was a bad problem in Corinth. The Corinth had a lot of bad problems where people were saying, well, you know, we have so much grace that we're going to say that your sin is okay. And I've told you all, I want everybody in our church, whether they're sinning in any particular way or not, I want them in our church. But I'm never going to say that their sin is okay. All right? I'm never going to say that gossip is okay, gluttony is okay, that, that fornication is okay, that adultery is okay, that homosexuality is okay, because God says they're not. Do I want those people in the church? Of course I want them in. I want them to hear the gospel. I want them to grow, but they're not going to be told it's okay. I'm not going to partake in their sins. And if somebody's here trying to get others to partake in their sin, they're going to be asked to leave. Just plain and simple. You know, if you want to get people to commit your sin with you, then that's not going to happen in the church. We are going to keep the church pure. But if I have somebody here who is sinning, we're, we have to because otherwise we wouldn't have a church. Because all of us in here have some sin in our life that we have to work out. And some may be more open and blatant, and some may be hidden and, and kept secret, but we all have sin. And if we were trying to kick out sinners, we'd have to go out the door right now and close the doors and lock them up forever because there's none of us that deserve to be here. And so we, we don't want to partake in their sins. We do want them here, but not to partake and not to even say that they're good. In Corinth, they had a man sleeping with his mother-in-law, and they were saying it was good. And Paul said, get him out. If he won't repent, get him out. And the attitude wasn't so much of his sin, but the attitude of the people saying it's okay and not telling him that it was a sin. And we want to know whether we're sin. Not that we can be condemned because there is no condemnation in Christ, but that we can be convicted and repent. When we hear that something's wrong in our life, we read through the scriptures and say, all of a sudden God says, you know, you're doing this, I want you to stop. We have a choice at that time to be obedient and stop or stay in sin and know that it's sin at that point and continue doing wrong. And I'm not going to be the one who's going to point out, well, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that, you're doing this. All I'm going to do is teach God's word and call what is wrong, wrong, because it is. Even if I'm doing some of those things, I'm going to call them wrong, because they are. And we're going to try to stay pure. Try to stay seeking after God. Because that's all that our life is about. He comes, he indwells us, and he's going to keep pointing out, you know, this is not something you do. This is not something you do. This is not something you do. And, you know, oftentimes as we grow with God, he starts pointing out things that may not even be a thou shalt not, but you just read a verse and say, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. How many of us have given up things that may not even be evil? Don't raise your hands. may not even be evil, but God has said, don't do this. You're spending way too much time. It's becoming a God in your life. Get rid of it. Now, there may not be anything wrong in and of itself in that event, but if it's becoming too important to you, God may just say, get rid of, your, get rid of this new God that's, that's trying to take my place. And at that point, it's wrong for you. It may not be wrong. You know, maybe you're a great sports you know, enthusiast and you've got to watch, let's pick baseball because baseball or basketball because they're on every night of the week once, they're, once they start. And you've got to watch every single game of the week. You know, maybe God will say, that's too much. You know, who knows what it is? It could be a hobby. 
You spend all your money on your hobby and all your time on your hobby. You're thinking about your hobby all the time. And God says, uh, how about thinking about me once in a while? And you go, well, God, I just don't have time. I go, well, you would if you get rid of this, this event. We don't know what it is. Sometimes God just points it out to us and says, don't do this. Don't do this because it is too important to you. It is a sin. And uh, then Paul gives Timothy a scripture here. And this scripture is used by a lot of people to, to justify their drinking. He says to Timothy, drink not only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake in your often infirmities. So apparently Timothy was a pretty sickly person. And you know, water back then was not very pure in the first place. Matter of fact, even in America, it was about 110, 120 years ago that you, most people really didn't drink water. You got the water out of your well, and you got to drink brown stuff. It had so much dirt and everything in it, or you let it sit for a long time and tried to filter out the dirt. And who knows what else was in your water. You know, this is what Paul is telling Timothy, you're avoiding wine, and that's good. <laughs> but you need a little bit of wine to help with your infirmities. And you know, our science is showing us that a little bit of wine is not bad. But when they say a little bit, they mean like one glass a day after the meal. You know, not, not the entire liter of wine or whatever it's measured in. You know, he's saying one, a little. little. Little wine helps digestion. It'll help parasites. It'll help oxidize your body. It'll help, you know, give you probiotics. I mean, there's a lot of good things about a little bit of wine. But if you're a person who can't drink a little bit of wine, stay away from it altogether. You know, because Paul is just teaching him it's going to help you a little bit. And he's not telling him to go out and drink, you know, drink barrels of wine every week. He's just telling him a little bit. You know, and this is one of the things we've talked about. Drinking is not necessarily a sin. If you can't stop and you get drunk, God says, do not be drunk, for, because drink, being drunk is a sin. And if we can't drink in moderation, it's not a good thing. Uh, some people cannot drink that way. I don't even want to try to drink. You know, I know my personality. I know that I probably wouldn't stop at just one, one. So I don't even want to start. Plus, I've you know, always been a le leader, and I don't want other people to look and say, well, if it's OK for him, it's OK for me. I don't want to be that kind of example. That goes back to not being a stumbling block for somebody. And that may be a reason not to is because it might offend other people. But here, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you're sick a lot. <laughs> you know, your stomach is giving you lots of problems. You have digestive problems. Drink a little bit of wine with your meal. So don't take this as a blanket coverage of just go out and drink. But it also tells us that there's nothing wrong with a little bit of drinking. And I'm not going to advocate drinking. I don't want anybody to go out and start drinking be you know, because of this verse. because there's a large downside with drinking because so many people cannot stop at a little, as Paul told him. You know, one glass, you know, little. Most people go way beyond a little, so drinking is probably not a good thing to be doing. And it alters our minds, it alters the way we think, so we want to be careful with it. So I'm not advocating, I'm just saying that God says as if it's done in moderation, it's not a problem. If you can't do it in moderation, don't do it. If, you have that, if you've ever had a problem with drinking, don't do it, because it's not a good place to be. And I would advocate that you're probably better off not drinking, especially in our day and age where the water is pure and the other, other drinks that you can drink, but don't replace 
sodas for alcohol because they sodas had their own problems. You know, the sugar and everything in them. But uh, we need to be careful about this because we look at these verses, and God says, don't be drunk. He's, but he says, do things in moderation. It, we talked about, you know, this idea of hobbies and everything. Hobbies are fine in, in, in moderation. Sports are fine in moderation. Uh, eating is fine in moderation because we have to do it. We have to eat. Gluttony, on the other hand, is a sin. To go and, and eat everything in sight is not good. All right? So there's all these different sins out there. And, you know, how many times do we talk about all the sins out there? I, I wouldn't even want to begin to try to talk about all the sins because I'm not looking to put legalism on us. I want us to grow in grace. And, you know, one of the things I've seen over the years is grace changes people. You know, the more laws and rules you put on people, they, all they do is usually rebel against them or they look good. I can keep the rules when I'm around other people, but when I get in private, you just wait and see what I'm going to do. When nobody sees me, then, no, that's why grace is so important, because God loves to work with us. God will change us, and this is, I say this so often, being a Christian is really easy. You let God live in you, and he changes you. You don't have to try hard to do it. You just need to get into his word, you get taught, and all of a sudden God says, don't do this. And you have a choice to obey and disobey, and if you disobey, God will keep telling you you've got to do this until you finally decide to obey. Now, you may take uh, days, months, years, decades. We, none of us are going to be taking a century to get fixed because most of us won't live to be a century. But, you know, how many of us have had times where we've fought with God for a long time over something? Now, I've done it. I've done it. I fought six years on a particular instance one time, and God made my life miserable. I knew what he wanted to do, and I wouldn't do it. I was absolutely determined I was going to do it my way. God won. God always wins in the long run. You know, if you want to fight him over what he's telling you to do, he'll win. The sign of maturity as a Christian is to say, God, you want me to do this? Okay, help me get it done and change. That's when we get mature. We say, God, I just am going to give up what you wanted. You know, I'm going to give up and do it your way. You may have to help me, God. I may fall a few times, but God, it's your way. And this is important for us to understand. Because when we start understanding how easy it is for us, then we look at others and say, just let God do it. You know, surrender to God. You know, and a lot of times people go, well, how do you surrender to God? Just do it. <laughs> you know, it's really not hard to surrender to God. You know, if we had the police outside this door saying, come out with your hands up, we'd have an option. We'd go out with our hands up, or we can say, no, I'm not coming out. And eventually, they would outweigh us. We'd starve or get hungry enough to finally surrender. Or if things really got bad and they wanted us bad enough, they'd shoot you know, tear gas in, and we would come out whether we wanted to or not. But you know, this is the way God is with us. He says, come out and surrender. And we have an option. We can surrender. Or he'll just stand outside the door waiting for us to surrender. God will win. And when we're immature in Christ, we will go, OK, God, I'm going to fight. Somehow, I'm going to win. Our flesh says, somehow, I'm going to win. I'm going to make things right. And God says, no, you're going to surrender, and I'm going to do it. Because our righteousness cannot stand before God. We cannot do enough good things to please God. In Isaiah, he tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. The best we can do in front of God is, is filthy rags if we do it in our own flesh. And we've got to keep that in mind. Well, in this section that we're looking at, 
Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they will follow after. Now, we all know people that we know are terrible, rotten sinners. We see them all the time. They're, they may be liars. They may be cheats. They may be thieves. They may be drunks. They may be addicted to alcohol. Uh, they may be addicted to sexual activity. And we all kind of say, well, boy, that person's awful. But so many times there are people in the church who have learned to keep their sins hidden. They don't have these outward sins that everybody sees. They have the sins more like what Jesus says. If you have thought about adultery in your heart, you've committed adultery before God. If you've been angry with a brother before, you know, you've committed murder in your heart. Those aren't seen by a lot of people very often. And yet God says, that person's guilty. And Jesus told us that our sins will be shouted out from the rooftops. If, if the worst case is, it'll be shouted out at judgment. This person had this issue, this issue, this issue, and this issue in their hearts. And that's what Paul's saying. Your sin will come out. Usually in this lifetime. We see it all the time. We've seen it with many great Christian leaders and churches where all of a sudden their sin has been called out and they've left the ministry in total disgrace because of adultery or fornication or, or stealing from their church or whatever it might be. And they think they're getting away from them. It's hidden. They think. But God says, be sure your sin will find you out. And the absolute worst case is it'll be called out when you stand before God at the judgment seat. We need to understand this. This is what Paul's saying. We've got to be careful when we look at somebody because we can look at somebody, well, that person is really good. We don't know what's going on in their mind half the time. They might not even be saved. They just look good. They've disciplined their flesh really good. They don't drink. They don't do drugs. They don't, they're, they're not angry a lot of times, but they don't know God. But they look good. And God's saying their sin will come out. Their sin will come out. And we need to be aware, aware of this. The flip side of this, and he ends it with, their good can be the same thing. Somebody who looks really good will get blessed if it's really true goodness, or is it just goodness that looks good and they've got a lot of evil in their heart that's going to come out? And you know, there's also people that don't seem to be all that fantastic, but they're really pure in all their thoughts. They're pure in their actions, but they don't stand out in a crowd. They don't stand out in a, in a strong way. And you're going, well, I don't know what that person's ever done. And you find out later on they were a great prayer warrior. They, they loved people. They prayed for people. They might even have shared the gospel with people in a very subtle way that we never even knew. And God says their glory is going to come in heaven as well in judgment when they stand out. All of this to be careful to say we need to be careful about judging one another. Because we as human beings judge by what we see. And that's a big problem. Because there's a couple problems with this. Number one, we know each other in some small slice of that person's life. You know, unless they're family, you really don't know the person. And even if you're family, you don't truly know the person in most cases. And for, for us in here, we know each other. You move to chloride, and we, know, we get to know you from the time that you move to chloride to whenever. We don't know what you were as a child or a teenager or as a young adult. You might have been the strongest Christian in the world, and you, and you moved here, and you just decided, God, I'm tired of tired. And God says, well, you don't know this person. You don't know where they're at. All you see is somebody who's not acting. Or they've been a terrible, rotten person. And they come to chloride and, and look good. And may or may not know God, even though they're looking good. You know, we need to be so careful about when we look at somebody and say, 
this is who they are and this is what they what they do now we do need to you know look at the fruit if we see somebody and we don't see any fruit of salvation then we can say i'm going to give this person the gospel because it doesn't look like they're saved but i'm not i can't judge that person to say this person's not saved I can't look at somebody and say, well, they've been in church every day. You know, they're always in church. They always seem to be reading their Bible and say that they're a Christian because they may not be. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've seen somebody in their 60s, 70s, 80s all of a sudden realize they don't know Jesus and come to Jesus and say, I just got saved. You mean you haven't been saved all these years? You look like you were. No, I didn't know Jesus. Didn't know him in a personal relationship. I knew all about him. I knew what he did. I knew, I knew that I was a sinner, but I never really asked him into my heart. And we need to understand, between ourselves, Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the spirit. And that means that, you know, in our day and age, we have this you know, wonderful little prayer that they try to get you to say, and it's a wonderful prayer. It's the right words. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I repent. Come into my life and save me. Those are all the right words, but they're also not magic words. Just saying those words does not mean that you automatically become a Christian. You must believe the words completely. God, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> you know, if you don't know you're a sinner, you're going to have a hard time because you don't, you're not going to know that you need a Savior in the first place. God, I deserve that punishment. That's the next part. God, I'm a sinner, but you know we've got a world telling us it doesn't matter. God loves everybody. He'll take them to heaven. That's not a true statement. God is so righteous and holy that we have to come to him and repent and say, God, I am a sinner and I, don't, I cannot earn heaven. I deserve punishment. And then confess Jesus died for you. you know, Jesus died for us and then he'll come in and dwell us. And once he's in your heart, you'll know that he's there. <laughs> there may come time when you question it, but you know, I know for an absolute fact that Jesus indwells me and that God is in my heart. He's changed my life. He's made those changes. I know he's there. Do I always feel that he's there? Nope. But you know, I know he's there. The Bible tells me he's there, and I know he's there, and I know he's changed my life. Feelings are not what we base our salvation on. We base it on the truth of God. God, I know that I confessed I was a sinner. I, I know that I deserve punishment, and I know that you died for me, and I know you came into my heart. You know, and there are going to be times when we don't feel. You know. Feelings lie to us all the time. We need to be careful that we don't make decisions based on feelings. You know, I tell people all the time, the time to make a decision about what to do is not when you're in the middle of the problem. You know, I just feel like it's time to move away because there's so many things going on in my life. Well, that's not the time to go move away. That's the time to just hang tight, see if you still think that way when some of the problems are gone and God's had a time to talk to you. And it may or may not be the right thing to do, but don't make your decision in the middle of bad feelings. Our divorce rate is so high because people will decide in the middle of their hard time, I don't love you, never did love you, I don't feel like it. Well, you know what? You made a vow before God. It really doesn't matter what you feel unless there's a biblical reason for divorce, which is adultery. It doesn't matter what you feel. You made a promise to God. You know, I am glad that God's love for us is not subjective. And that means he doesn't look down and say, well, you guys have been bad today. I don't love you anymore. Now, we'd be in real trouble if that was God's love for us. His love is objective. He says, I love you because I choose to love you. And because our God never changes... 
That is the best kind of love we can have because he chooses to love us. He's not going to all of a sudden stand up in heaven and say, you know what, I'm just going to change my mind. I don't love any of them anymore. He doesn't change. His objective love says he loves us and he's going to care for us and we can count on it. No matter what we feel, no matter how angry God gets at our sin, he loves us and he's made us his children. So we want to look at these things as we stand before God and you stand before God and you look at God and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Listen to God, because it's not going to be the same thing for everybody. Not everybody is called to stand up front and teach a, teach a group of people. Not everybody is going to be a great evangelist and share the gospel. We're all called to share the gospel, but there are some people that are much better at sharing the gospel than others. Okay? But our job is there's always somebody out there that we're the right person to talk to, that we are the one that they know, that they will trust, they're looking at. There's always at least one or two people that we are going to be the one to be able to share the gospel with. Producing fruit, bringing people to Christ. For those of us with families, we should be always talking to our families and saying, do you know Jesus? You know, that is so important for us to be able to do this for people that they get to know Christ. Because if they don't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Eternity in the lake of fire if they reject Christ. And you know, the worst thing that will be about that is if you look at somebody that's a friend or a family member and you have never shared with the gospel with them and they go to hell and you never even once shared the gospel with them, that doesn't mean every time you see them you go, you got to get saved, you got to get saved. You know, after a while, you'll never see them. <laughs> but, you know, we need to be able to share the gospel at least once or twice with them. This is the gospel message. And I don't want to see you go to hell. And when you're talking to family, that should be a very adamant plea with them. I don't want to see you spend eternity in hell. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. This should be our attitude. Hell is so bad a place, I don't want to see anybody go there. Period. Whether I know them or don't know them, I don't want to see them go there. You know, hell is not a place that I want an enemy to go to because it's so bad. Because God can change the enemy to a friend and brother and a sister. And, you know, we need to be careful how we look at people and say, God, I want this person to be with you for eternity. I, this person needs you. And if they're family and friends, you definitely need to be given the gospel to them. You should want to spend eternity with them, hopefully. And I know there's probably some family members you go, I don't care if they're there or not, but that's really not the attitude you should have because hell is so bad. If you really understood how bad hell was, you wouldn't want anybody to be there. You know, it is pain for eternity. It is suffering for eternity. It is conscience saying, I'm here because I chose to be here for eternity. It's not a place for them to be. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know you or listening on the Internet that doesn't know you, that today will be the day they decide to come to you. They will recognize that they're a sinner. They will recognize they deserve punishment, and they will ask you to come into their heart. Very simple prayer. We just said those words, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life. And Lord, if there's anybody that says that prayer, we ask that they will communicate with another Christian to help disciple them. If they don't have another Christian, that they can contact us here at the church and we'll contact, we'll help them. But Lord, we pray for each person. Lord, we pray for each person listening here that knows you, 
that you will work on their hearts to love you more and to be more gracious, more loving, more enthusiastic about speaking your name to others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.